on today's episode of the Elder Law Coach Podcast. The agent needs to be able to change the beneficiary because we don't know what the future holds, Mm -hmm. okay? And there may be times when, you know, if they took your advice and they did payable on death to three kids, that's what they want, that's great. But if one of these kids has gone bad on us, you know, Mm -hmm. they're a drug addict, they're in prison, they're about to go through a nasty, nasty divorce, we probably don't want this money going to them. So therefore, the agent needs to be able to go in and change the beneficiary of that account so that mom's money will go where we want it to go. Welcome to the Elder Law Coach Podcast where you'll get the information you need to really help seniors lower your work stress, improve your work-life balance, and make a good living. Your hosts are certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and his co-host Sarah Scott. They're here to help you do just that. Join us today as we discuss hot topics in elder law and topics to help you help our seasoned citizens and their families. Here's your Elder Law Coach podcast hosts, licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott and Todd Watley. Hello and welcome back to the Elder Law Coach podcast. My name is Sarah Scott. I'm happy to be a co-host with the certified elder law attorney, the one and only Todd Watley. How are you? Hey, Sarah. Thanks. And I promise y'all I don't tell her to do that. She just does it on her own. The elder law. The elder law am, attorney. Yes, I am the elder law coach because I got the website. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not the certified elder law attorney. There's a there's a bunch of good certified elder law attorneys out there. But my passion right now is to help attorneys become elder law attorneys or be better at being an elder law attorney. Mm-hmm. And today's topic is one of those things that can separate you from the crowd and really make your practice successful and um, productive because doing this document correctly on the front end helps you be able to do the cool stuff later on and really save estates. And if it's done wrong, which you'll see, and we'll talk about it, people can lose their entire estates when they come into, you know, needing, Long-term care, if this document is done wrong, they can lose everything. It is that serious. It is. And so Todd and I have worked for many years together, and I will say this is probably the biggest soapbox that he has Mm -hmm. because it is so incredibly important. So listen up. Be sure that you either take notes or have a lot of takeaways and listen closely because this is incredibly important for the success of your practice and setting your clients up for success. Yes, absolutely. So that document is primarily the financial power of attorney. So many attorneys, it's just a you know half thought. It's like, oh yeah, we need to do that. And so they'll download it, fill it out and, and do it. And they don't give it much thought. As an elder law attorney, this is the document because we are dealing with folks who are um, probably, if not already, going to have some level of incapacity, mm-hmm. dementia, Alzheimer's, stroke, something's going to happen where they're going to be incapacitated and having this document in place 
to number one, keep them from going into guardianship court is crucial. But once you start planning for long-term care, you've got to have language in this POA that is typically not in your standard downloaded, you know, second thought POA. This should be first and foremost and done very well and then advertise that. When mm-hmm. I do public speaking, we always, always, always talk about powers of attorney and the importance of it. And that's what gets people away from their family law attorney to come see you because you focus on this and you say, if it's done correctly, I can protect your entire estate. That gets them into your office. It does. And yeah, they're like, hey, yes, I need this redone. And I've done documents that were done three months ago mm-hmm. at a non-elder law attorney's office. They've come in and redone documents because I impress upon them the importance of this. Mm-hmm. And it is truly something that will get clients in the door and allow you to help them tremendously later on. Sure. I think one one thing that I see so many times in that initial meeting with clients is they bring in mostly what existing documents they've already had in place. And they're so proud Mm -hmm. because they've got, they've already got POAs and Mm -hmm. we don't have to mess with that. And once I ask them, okay, well, let me just take a look at it and see if we've got these special things in here that we need to have in place that you can just kind of see their balloon (laughs) deflating. It's like, Oh man. man. But the good news is, We can help you, and that's exactly what we do every day. You can take this podcast, make notes, and do this as a public presentation. I've done this three times over the last probably two months, and this is a great presentation that gets people's attention, and I promise you will get people into the door, and you go through these nine powers that need to be in your power of attorney. Some of these may be there, but I can tell you most of them are not. And this is what will get people in the door. Okay. Okay? So number one, the power of attorney, and I thought this was a no brainer. I thought in most states, I know the state that I practice in right now says that a Financial power of attorney is durable unless it says otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay, used to a under the common law, power of attorney said the agent can only do what the principal can do. And so therefore, once the principal becomes incapacitated, the agent can't do anything unless there is language in there that says this shall be durable until my death. Once I become incapacitated does not mean this document stops. Well, the presumption has been now it's durable. My state's law says all POAs are durable unless it states otherwise. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a no-brainer until I did a presentation one time. It was an all-day event, and there were multiple speakers. And so I was there first thing to, you know, meet and greet or whatever. And the um, federal attorney, the U.S. attorney for the Western district of Arkansas spoke and he primarily spoke about scams and different things, but he got off onto powers of attorney and he said, you should never do a durable power of attorney. You don't want that to still be in place once you become incapacitated. And I'm just going, Oh no. And a few people there knew me Mm -hmm. and they all turned around and looked at me and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to 
address this. <laughs> and so I, I spoke after him, not immediately, thank goodness. But um, I got up there and I said, look, I have different advice than the federal prosecutor. And um, here's why. Right. And, and so I just went through. And so you want the power of attorney, obviously, to be durable because our clients are going to become incapacitated. They will spend some time. It could be 24 hours or it could be years in, with some substantial level of incapacity. And that's when this document really comes into play. That's when we need it to be in effect is when this person becomes incapacitated. And if you have a non-durable power of attorney, it stops being effective once they become incapacitated. Yeah, that is a big shock even to clients yeah. to learn that, um, you know, what you just said and how how long it's still effective. And this is one of the things that is commonly found when we're reviewing those in those well, existing documents in place. Durability is probably the least of the problems. It's their understanding, though, okay. is what I'm saying. Yeah. So True. it's important to make sure that your clients are educated and understand mm-hmm. what that word means. Point number two, though, is a big one that attorneys and clients, if you ask your client, hey, this POA can be effective immediately or it can be a Effective only once you become incapacitated so that your agent really can't do anything right now, but they then start doing things once you become incapacitated. I would say probably 75% to almost 100% would say, oh yeah, let's just do it. I don't need them to do anything right now. Let's just do it when I become incapacitated. That's known as a springing power of attorney. When you sign it, it is not in effect, but it springs to life once the person becomes incapacitated. That sounds great on its face, and most clients are like, yeah, that's what I want. But the problem is, as an elder law attorney, you will see people progressing with dementia at some point become very paranoid and become um, accusatory and just become a problem and it's at this point if the springing the typically the springing power of attorney does not come into play until a physician says they are incapacitated so now you've got mom being scammed or she's writing multiple checks to the gas company or whatever and she's not doing a good job but she's paranoid and she thinks you're trying to take over her life and throw her into a a nursing home. And now you're like, Hey mom, I can't do anything to protect you. We've got to go to the doctor to have you deemed incapacitated so that I can now take over. She's not going to the doctor. Losing your mind. If you think I'm going to agree to go to the doctor to be told I'm losing my mind. Yeah. That's not going to happen. So that you can just steal my money and throw me into a nursing home. No, thank you. So once you've gone through this once or twice, you're like, oh my God, I hate springing powers of attorney. Mm -hmm. And there are some very well-known estate planning attorneys that I respect tremendously and they do springing powers of attorney. Now, granted, they probably work with 30, 40, 50 year olds and some, but still my power of attorney that I've you know appointed my wife, it is immediately effective. It's convenient. If I'm just sick or and can't get out of the house, she can go do stuff. Right. But particularly if I'm in an accident and it's quick, mm-hmm. you know, she can go do stuff immediately and it's 
very absolutely important for our aging population that you do immediately effective. And I use that story. I tell people sitting here today, you're fine. You trust your son, your daughter to be your agent. You trust them. When you become incapacitated, you may not trust them, Mm -hmm. but they've not changed. You've changed. Mm -hmm. And so we need to appoint them now, remind them they don't lose any power. Right. By having an agent, you can still sign checks, you can still do stuff, and you as an attorney probably should do power of attorney and do one just like this mm-hmm. and say, hey, this is what I've done, yeah. and I'm still practicing law, I'm still doing things. Just because I've appointed someone as my agent who can do stuff right now, I don't lose anything. Right. One way that I can typically get a resistant client to agree to make it immediately effective versus springing is I ask them if you're on a cruise and the ATM machine is broken or you've reached your max to withdraw for the day and you need somebody in the States to go to the bank and authorize Mm -hmm. you to get more money and have more fun. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to do that if you have a springing power of attorney. I've never heard that before. Make it immediately effective. It Mm -hmm. will help if you're on a cruise or if you're in a coma. Yeah. Just do it. Very good. And if you missed the episode of why I'm Sarah saying that, she does our initial meetings. She, Mm -hmm. She is the first contact with clients. And so she's talking them you know, explaining this to them so that when I meet them, I walk in with the document in hand ready to go. So that's why she she knows this very well. So, okay, number three. It it's always funny when people say, yep, I, I want my spouse to be my agent, and that's it. No. We're done. No. Well, once the spouse becomes incapacitated, if there is no named successor, right. there is no power of attorney, mm-hmm. okay? And so we've just wasted time. And so you need to encourage people to have multiple successors. Yes. And their complaint is, well, okay, spouse first, daughter one, son, uh, mm. I don't totally trust him. Well, I understand that. That's why he's not the first successor. Yeah. But it's better to have him there if your daughter can't do it. We need a backup. Yes. And even a backup to him, you know, I try to go, I definitely go two. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you name this person and there's at least one person backing mm-hmm. them up. Sometimes I go two or three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most software programs let you go like three successors after the initial agent. So encourage your clients. You have to have multiple successors because if we're in a point that there is no one who can serve, there is no power of attorney. And if, if you're fortunate, you will have an agency within, you know, a close radius that does life care management or something of that sort that can also serve as a power of attorney agent. So if your client says, I have absolutely nobody, check out what resources are in your area that, yeah, they'll have to pay somebody to do that, Mm -hmm. but it's a nominal fee and it's, I mean, it's definitely better than having to get a guardianship. Absolutely. All right. Point number four is gifting language. And this Mm -hmm. is where clients are really going to push back on you. It's like, wait a second. My agent can give away my money. Yes. Remind them that the agent has a fiduciary duty. And I try to start this conversation as, you know, 
when we go through these powers, you're going to see you're, you're giving a lot of power to the agent. Remember fiduciary duty. That is the mm-hmm. highest level of duty. Your agent can only use your assets in your best interest, but we need them to be able to gift because of Medicaid planning, mm-hmm. even in spousal planning, we typically give the house to the wife. We give IRAs to the spouse. And so we are gifting even between spouses, but then particularly for the single client who is gifting, going through the penalty period. And I've done podcast on that. If you don't understand that, please go look at those podcasts and and understand that. But it is absolutely crucial this is what allows us to save entire estates. If there is a anti-gifting paragraph or sentence in there, and I've, I've seen them, the agent cannot make gifts. And you're like, we're stuck. And well, they if, can, but not to themselves. Yeah. That's the most frustrating one is, and, and for tax reasons, there are reasons to say that the agent can't give things to themselves, but those tax reasons only come into play if they have more than $12 million dollars in 2022. So, um, you, you have to have gifting language so that, um, we can do Medicaid planning when the time comes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. That's four of the five, probably some of the most, um, pressing ones. Let's take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back. Do you have clients who are over-resourced for Medicaid? but interested in accelerating Medicaid eligibility while preserving their assets. Your clients may want to consider purchasing a Medicaid-compliant annuity, MCA. MCAs are specialized insurance solutions offered by only a handful of insurance companies. To learn more about MCAs, reach out to Amber Hines at Ashbur. Ashbur is a nationally licensed organization that helps clients achieve Medicaid eligibility through the use of MCAs. Ashbur hosts monthly educational webinars pertaining to various Medicaid planning topics. To learn more, visit ashbur.com or call 888-441-1595. You're listening to The Elder Law Coach Podcast. Now, back to your hosts, Licensed Nursing Home Administrator, Sarah Scott and Todd Watley. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is the Elder Law Coach Podcast. My name is Sarah Scott. I am a co-host with the Certified Elder Law Attorney, the one and only Todd Watley. We're talking about the most important document you could possibly have, powers of attorney. You listened to a few of the special powers right before the break that need to be included in those documents. So, Todd... Let's pick back up and talk about what other special powers need to be included in your power of attorney document. Okay. Just for, if you are taking notes, number one was durable. Number two is not springing. Number three is they must must have multiple successors. Number four is gifting. The new one is you need the specific ability for the agent to close bank accounts. Mm-hmm. The reason being is, particularly if they're single, and it will make your life easier when you're applying for Medicaid to have less bank accounts. Okay. You need to close them out. And I had a lady one time this, thankfully banks don't do this much anymore, but she, she came in 
her, her family came in and I was like, okay, all of her bank accounts. And I literally, she had like 15 bank accounts. I was like, oh my God, why on God's green earth? And you know, they just laughed. They said, well, banks gave away crock pots or cooking sets, whatever. And so she would go open up a bank account and get a crock pot or something. And so she just had 15 bank accounts. And so we had to go in and close those because Medicaid wants bank records on every bank account. It's like, Hey, pre-planning, close those things down. Let's get down to one or two. And it becomes important if the person's being scammed. Mm -hmm. Okay. They've won $20 million in the publisher's clearinghouse, whatever, but they need this fee and that fee and this fee and that fee. Just constantly getting this, getting this person to, to send them money. And so the person, your parent or the, your client thinks I've won, I've got to spend this money and you cannot convince him that they are being scammed and they just keep doing it. A very drastic um, way to solve that is to go close the bank account. Yeah. You don't want to do that initially, but if you just can't convince him that you are losing money and God knows where this money's going, it could be going to, you know, whoever, you know, terrorist, I don't know, but it's, they need this money and they are being scammed and you need to be able to close the bank accounts for Medicaid reasons and for scam reasons. That's right. That's right. All right. Next one. Change the beneficiary. The the agent needs to be able to change the beneficiary because we don't know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there may be times when, you know, if they took your advice and they did payable on death to three kids, that's what they want. That's great. But if one of these kids has gone bad on us, you know, Mm -hmm. they're a drug addict, they're in prison, they're about to go through a nasty, nasty divorce. We probably don't want this money going to them. So therefore, the agent needs to be able to go in and change the beneficiary of that account so that mom's money will go where we want it to go. And this is particularly when mom is incapacitated, you you want to be able to change the beneficiary. Well, and a lot of times, especially recently with our clients who have later in life marriages, mm-hmm they may not have thought to change the beneficiary from their previous spouse to their current spouse. And let me just tell you, if that's not handled before they die, there is nothing you can do to go back and change the beneficiary. It's it's ugly. So just know there are a lot of reasons why having that power is very important. Very important. Yes. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay. Um, Delegate authority. okay? Okay. So if we've, if you've named, a child to be the agent, they may not be good at certain things. They kind of freak out, they freeze, they're just not doing a good job. And it's like, Hey, let's delegate your power as the agent to a CPA so that they can write checks and they can do things. And so that's, it's, it's not crucial that that be there, but it's one of those things that can be very convenient. And the example that I use Many times is if for some reason, cousin Betty dies and leaves you a lot in California, Mm -hmm. it's worth $10,000. Well, it's really not worth it for the agent to to fly out there and handle that closing. If the agent can delegate, you can name someone in California as a 
limited function agent to do that closing for you and it saves time and money and just gets it done quickly. So those two things that I've seen, number one, the agent's just not good at something. Mm -hmm. And so let's hire someone to do it for them so that they can just jump in and do it or to close a piece of property or something. Next. Uh, Amend a trust. Now this is very state specific. Arkansas just recently, um, mended their power of attorney, but for some reason they followed the uniform power of attorney code, but they left that out for some reason. And so just recently has Arkansas updated that, but check your statutes and make sure if they did follow the uniform power of attorney code, it does allow the agent to amend the trust. This goes back to um, changing beneficiaries Mm -hmm. is Something may have changed and the trust may do something that you don't like or your client doesn't like and doesn't make sense anymore. We need to be able to change it. And if the um, trustee grantor is incapacitated, the agent's got to do it. But only if the power of attorney says they can, Mm -hmm. that will allow them to do it. All right. Last point in this will This will make people go, wait a second, I don't understand this. You need to be able to remove the principal as the beneficiary of anything. And you'll particularly see this in life insurance. Mm-hmm. So if you're your client going into the nursing home, we are busting our tails to get them broke, get them under the limits, get everything to the other spouse. And if that spouse is now incapacitated, you're now dealing with the agent. She has a life insurance policy on her life that pays to him in the nursing home. And so if she gets sick and dies, this life insurance policy now goes to him. It's now countable asset. We lose Medicaid and every we just have to, to start all over again. And it's worse now that he's a single person rather than a married person. And so it's important to be able to change that. And with bank accounts, you know, just if they are listed as the beneficiary on a bank account, once we get them on Medicaid, they don't need money anymore. Yeah, They need to stay on Medicaid and we need to remove them as the beneficiary so that the money goes to someone else. So that's one of those things that may surprise you until you need it. And you're like, that gummick, this, this thing won't let us do that. The bank will not let us remove them as the beneficiary unless the power of attorney specifically says to. Very good. Those are all really helpful. I hope that you've learned a lot today and that you'll implement all of these special powers for the reasons that we just talked about into the documents that you're preparing for your clients And if you have questions or want to know more details about one of the specific powers that Todd talked about today, um, he loves to teach. He loves to help other attorneys be as successful as possible. So how can they reach out to you if that's the case? Sure. You can always email me at Todd at the com. And just a practice point real quick. I forgot to bring up is if you have the common elder law um, document drafting software, elder counsel 
interactive legal, when you do your power of attorney, if you'll check all those boxes, you will have all of these powers. Okay. But I wanted to explain to you why you do want to check those. And if you have concerns like, wait, gifting, why do we want to do that? Medicaid. Okay. Why do we want to be able to close bank accounts? Because they have a bunch of, you know, I want you to understand why you need to click all those boxes, give your agent as much power as possible and it will help your client and it will also allow you to help them later on. Very right. good. All right. Thank you all very much. If you need me, just email me, Todd at the com, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Todd Watley and Sarah Scott on the Elder Law Coach Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want more information on Todd's coaching program to help you learn elder law and grow your practice, contact him at Todd at the Elder Law Coach or visit the website, theelderlawcoach.com.